Yeah, I thought we weren't gonna have PowerPoint this morning, but uh, but we do. Praise God. I don't have any volume on my microphone. There we go. Well, guess what the title of my message is? I am Mephibosheth. If you would stand with me and uh, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I don't often do this, but just seemed apropos today. 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's a short chapter, verse 1. And David said, Is there any yet that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Are thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not any yet of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the, to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Pay attention to that phrase. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants... Shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. I want to speak to you this morning on a subject. I am Mephibosheth, and I'm going to ask Pastor Allen if he would lead us to the Lord in prayer. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.
this is the uh, the zenith of David's career. Uh, chapter 8, which we didn't go through, I probably will regret. Chapter 8 speaks of David's uh, expanding the kingdom, and God was with him in a mighty way. He expands into the north, the south, the east, and the west, and pretty much occupies the land that God had promised Abraham. Maybe not all of it, but, but for the most part, David had accomplished what everybody else, all of his predecessors had failed to do, and that was to fully conquer the land and to inhabit uh, what God had given the inheritance to. After chapter 9, things begin to spiral for David, and things begin to go downhill uh, in the latter part of his life. But, but this is pretty much the apex. Now, I want you to go to the next slide, if you will. Thank you. Now, it was a custom, whenever a new king came into power, one of the first things he would do was to exterminate all of the family of the predecessor, the previous king. So the first thing David asked, uh, he says, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? You know, that was a typical question, right? Is anybody left from the previous regime? And normally we would expect the king to follow up with so that I may exterminate them. <laughs> That's not what David does. David instead says that I may show him kindness. The Hebrew word is hesed or hesed. Speaks of the covenant loyalty, steadfast love. It's translated various ways in the Bible. Steadfast love, mercy, love. The New Testament equivalents would be agape, um, charis, which is grace, love, the love of God. It is the kindness of God. It's not just ordinary uh, kindness like holding the door for someone or uh, do it, doing a kind gesture, but it is the steadfast love. And I want you to understand this, that the reason David wants to show kindness to someone of the house of Saul is because of a covenant he made years before with Jonathan Jonathan was Saul's son but he was nothing like Saul he was an excellent man he was a man of an excellent spirit and David was was like uh, the two of them were kindred spirits if I could use that expression they loved one another and their love uh, was was just amazing the bond that the two of them had and not sure why it took David this long to to act upon the the covenant that he made and that's really irrelevant. And I, I've got some commentaries in my study that take a real cynical view of this. And they say that David's doing this uh, to solidify uh, the kingdom. And I, I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, because of the phrase, uh, kindness of God here. The, 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 uh, the emphasis here is he's going to do something because of a covenant he made with someone else. And this is going to be important when we get to the end, the end of this message. Because you and I are the beneficiaries of something that someone else did for us. An everlasting covenant. But I don't want to steal my own thunder, so I won't get too far ahead. But you can read up on the screen here, 1 Samuel 20 and 15. And David and Jonathan made a covenant. They, they swore. And David also swore, you see the end of the, the, uh, the slide there, that David also swore unto Saul. Saul pleaded with him and said, please, when you come into power, don't kill my family. Don't wipe out 
uh, all of my descendants. And David swore to Jonathan and to Saul. David is an amazing person. I have thoroughly enjoyed studying him. I hope you have. Uh, there's so much application in this. But he said, I want to do it for Jonathan's sake. It says there was a, at the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. Now, Ziba is an interesting character. I don't believe he's a good guy. We'll see uh, later on where he actually betrays Mephibosheth. Let's practice saying Mephibosheth's name, Mephibosheth. By the time it's over with, you'll never forget his name, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. They called him unto David. The king said unto him, Are you Ziba? And the king's name says, Thy servant is he. If I would say it in a modern way, he would say, At your service. I picture this guy as being one of those, we call him a sycophant. You know, he'll say whatever to curry favor with the king, but his heart's not really with him. And uh, you'll notice that his posture is a lot different than Mephibosheth. Now, it's, it's interesting in verse 1, David asked a question. He said, is there anybody at the house of Saul? And then here is one, verse 2, right? His name's what? Ziba, not Mephibosheth, Ziba. Come on, wake up. Who didn't have their coffee this morning? Some of you drank decaf. Shame on you. What's the point? <laughs> Ziba. But... But after Ziba shows up, do you think, now I don't want to read too much into the text. We get in trouble with this. But do you think maybe Ziba thought that he was going to get some honor bestowed on him? But what does David say? Uh, is there anybody else? <laughs> Verse 3, he says, um, is there any yet of the house of Saul? <laughs> that I may show kindness unto him. The kindness of God. There's that word said again. And Ziba said unto the king, and if I could say it the way I think he said it, yeah, there's a guy, he's a cripple. You don't want this guy. He's lame on his feet. The Bible is careful to tell us that Mephibosheth is lame on his feet. It's just Whenever you see something in the Bible and you see a repetitive uh, phrase or pattern, pay attention to it. If you see some Something that's relatively uh, obscure, it seems like it's kind of a minute detail, but it's obscure, and yet the Lord records, the Holy Spirit records that anyway. Pay attention to it. And the rabbis used to say that of the Old Testament, that when you see something that seems out of, out of place or, or uh, extraneous, start digging around there because there's probably more in there than what you realize. You might find some gold when you mine around there. He said, there's one, but he's, he's lame on his feet. And king said unto him, well, where is he? Notice this, that David has no awareness of who he's going to show kindness to. This guy is hidden from David. Why is Mephibosheth hiding from David? Let's go to the next slide. Can we? We, we were introduced to Mephibosheth kind of parenthetically. Back in chapter 4, it says, Now, Jonathan Saul's son had a son that was lame of his feet. Notice this emphasis again, you know, on the fact that he's lame on his feet. He's lame on his feet. Now, he was five years old. That shows us the passage of time. Here's a little time stamp for you. He was five years old. 
when tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. Okay? This is the tidings of the death of Saul and Jonathan. Now, uh, we've been kind of hard on Saul, and there's not much good we can say about him. But one thing I will say about Saul, when he found out he was going to die, he mounted that horse and rode in anyway. I can say that for him. That was courageous. He died valiantly. He and Jonathan were together. Now, that song of the bow is a beautiful song that David sang. Tidings came, and it says, When the tidings came that the nurse of Mephibosheth took him up and fled. Now, why did she do that? I've already covered this earlier. Because when a new king comes into power, the previous regime is what? <laughs> Exterminated. So she understands this. So she swoops up Mephibosheth and she runs. But as she makes haste to flee, he fell and became lame. And he was lame in both of his feet. Now, some Bible scholars have said perhaps this was a spinal injury because of both feet being lame, that perhaps he was a paraplegic. Normally, if you break a leg, you just break one, or you break a foot or whatever. But, but here he's got both feet that are lame, and, and it's surmised perhaps that he was a paraplegic. I don't know, and it's not germane uh, to what I'm going to say to you this morning. But his name is significant. You may remember his uncle, Ishbosheth. Do you remember what his name meant? Man of shame. His uncle, Ishbosheth, was man of shame. But, but here, Jonathan's son. His name is Mephibosheth. Say that again. Mephibosheth. It means broken. It's a compound of these two phrases. Broken to pieces and shame. They really set him up for success when they named him, didn't they? I guess they didn't have one of those cute little baby books with names in it back in those days. But this shows you the sovereignty of God in here. There's a story. Mephibosheth's life was going to be a sermon. You know, sometimes God, guys in the Bible get to preach sermons. Other times their lives became sermons. Your, my, may I suggest to you that your life is a sermon too? You're preaching your own funeral as you live every day. You're the only Bible that some people will ever read. Mephibosheth, he's broken to pieces. He's a man of shame. Let's go on to the next slide. Go on to the next slide, please. Now, I don't want this to turn into a seminary class, but as you're reading the Bible, pay attention to the repetition of phrases and key terms. Anytime you analyze a particular text, notice, if you will, words that are repeated. One word that's repeated over and over is this hesed, or hesed, which is the kindness of God, his covenant steadfast love. We've already talked about the meaning of Mephibosheth's name, broken, shame. Now, we find him, verse 4 the king said unto him, Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Makir. Now, Makir, interestingly enough, his name means bartered or sold. And he was in Amiel, which means God's people, in Lodabar. Lodabar literally means in the Hebrew, barren place or no pasture. It's not the kind of place you want to have a timeshare and visit. It's just, just not. Why would Mephibosheth be in Lodabar? Well, he's probably hoping that he can hide out there and David surely wouldn't look for him in Lodabar because, after all, nobody goes there on purpose. It's kind of like the road I live on. 
You don't go on that road unless you live on that road. It's a shortcut to nowhere. So he's in Lodabar. And again, notice the other the phrases, lame on his feet and eating bread always at my table. Now, the king sent and fetched him, verse 5. And notice again, it repeats where he came from. Again, the repetition of phrases. He's from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. He's in this barren place. There's the emphasis again. Now, verse 6, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here I am at your service. Behold your servant. Now, notice the different posture. When Ziba is called into the king's court, what does he do? He stands at attention. He's expecting a commendation, probably, at, at minimum. Perhaps he's expecting a blessing, the bestowal of property, land, honor. But Mephibosheth, who's broken, perhaps a paraplegic, at, at minimum, he's lame in his feet. He can't walk. And the Bible says that he prostrated himself. Notice the posture. And David said unto him, Do not be afraid. Fear not. That sounds like our great king, the son of David, the greater son of David. How many times does Jesus say unto you and I, Fear not. He understands. This, uh, even though it's not explicitly stated, we can read between the lines here and see that David understands that Mephibosheth is expecting the worst. He's expecting a sword on, on his neck. And that's why he reaches down and says, don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. And it must have taken a lot. Think about it. If he's on crutches or on a bed, perhaps, they probably, probably, probably didn't have wheelchairs back then, but he had to have some primitive method of being carried there. And here he just throws himself at the mercy of the king. David said, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness. And there's that word said again. For Jonathan, your father's sake. Notice that David's kindness and compassion for Mephibosheth had nothing to do with his condition. It wasn't because he's crippled. David didn't know he was crippled. But the reason David's showing him kindness is because of a covenant that he had made with Jonathan. I hope you're beginning to sense some patterns and some types here. As we go through the text, he says, I'm going to restore to you all the land of your father. Land was a big deal. Brother Anthony, I'm, I'm told that your daddy used to say that real estate's important because they don't make none of that anymore. <laughs> they don't make land anymore. Land was a big deal to us. It's a big deal to them. It was an even bigger deal to them because it represented the inheritance that God gave them and their tribes and their families. Land was a big deal. To have the land restored was very important. It was, it was a, a, a very important deal. He says, I'll restore the land of Saul, your father, and you will eat bread at my table continually. Not just that he would be invited on special occasions. 
But he would have a regular place at the king's table. Now this not only speaks of fellowship, but it also speaks of knowledge. This would be a place where the affairs of state would be discussed. It would be a position of honor. He would be, if I could use this expression, he would be in the know. He would be in the cabinet. And he bowed himself, verse 8. He said, what is your servant? Now notice this phrase. This is a Hebrew idiom here, that you should look upon a dead dog as I am. If you remember Abner some weeks ago, he was talking to Ishbosheth, and he said, what am I, a dog's head that you talk to me? And I wonder if this triggered something in David too, because if you remember, David said the same thing to Saul whenever he had had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he didn't do it. And Saul said, is this you, David? And David said, hey, look, I'm a dead dog. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but see, in that culture, dogs were not domesticated little fur babies. Now, I've got one, so I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I've got a fur baby. <laughs> That's not how dogs were viewed in the ancient world. In the ancient world, a dead dog was a good dog because they were a nuisance. They were dirty. You read the book of Revelation, and it talks about those who are without, those who are not in the kingdom of God. It says that they're dogs. That was just the view of the ancient world. I'm not preaching against your fur baby. So you just get your blood pressure back down to normal. I'll go back to that church. That preacher talking bad about my puppy dog. You go home and just love on foo-foo all you want to. And isn't it funny how they make us talk real silly too? Oh, he's a good boy. He's a good boy, ain't it? Oh, she's a good girl. So when Mephibosheth, I'm just trying to keep you awake here. When Mephibosheth says, I'm a dead dog, understand he's saying, look, I'm the lowest of the low. There's nothing I can do. I got nothing to offer you. I'm just kind of an eyesore in the kingdom. Remember in that culture also that any physical defect was viewed as a curse from God, right? Even the apostles had this warped mindset. You read about it in John 9. Don't turn there, please. But when you get to John 9, and, and they run across this man who's been born blind. And remember the apostles asked Jesus a question. And they said, well, who sinned? Him or his parents? Because obviously there must be sin in his life for him to be born blind. And Jesus said, no, you guys are all messed up. You've been listening to the health and wealth prosperity preachers for too long. This man was born blind so that he might receive his sight at this moment and God will be glorified. I'm paraphrasing here. Barrenness, if a woman couldn't have a child, it was viewed as a curse from God. Now, we know now, we know better. But in that culture, physical defects and deformities and disabilities were viewed as the, uh, the displeasure or disfavor of the divine. And so, for a lame man to be in the king's castle was a big deal. A huge deal. <laughs> Now notice the reversal of fortune in verse 9. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given unto your master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. 
Well, that sure didn't, that sure went sideways for Ziba, didn't it? You shall bring in the fruits, for your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son shall eat bread always at my table. Now, here's a little obscure detail at the end of verse 10. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Why does that matter? Why did the Lord include that in the scriptures? Well, it speaks of abundance. And after all, Mephibosheth needs more help. These are all his servants. Do you know that one day the Bible says that we will, we will rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ? And we will have servants as well? One day we will judge the world, the Bible says. We'll judge angels. Not the good ones, the fallen angels. We will judge the world. We will rule and reign Jesus Christ. Now in verse 11, and again, I kind of imagine how Ziba says this. He's gritting his teeth, I believe. According to all that my Lord commanded, so shall your servant do. Ugh. <laughs> kind of like a kid talks to his mom and dad after we tell them to do something and they don't want to do it. And they, they begrudgingly obey. That's how I imagine he said it. But as for Mephibosheth, he shall eat at my table. Now notice, notice the next qualifier at the end of verse 11. He's not just going to eat as the ta at, at the table as a guest. That would be one thing. To be a, a, a secretary of state. That would be one thing. But he's going to sit here as what? As an adopted son. My, how things have changed for Mephibosheth. He goes from being a crippled man of shame in Lodabar, where there's no pasture. He's living in fear. Interesting thing, too. Mephibosheth is living in fear in a barren place away from the king, and he has no idea of the love that the king is about to show him. He's totally unaware. But now in a moment, listen to me, in a moment of time, and this is how quickly it happens for the saint who's born again into the kingdom of God. In a moment, he goes from broken, shameful, barren, poor, miserable, blind, and naked to now he has an inheritance. He is feasting at the king's table continually, not merely as a subject, but as an adopted son. In a moment of time, everything changed for Mephibosheth. We go to the next slide. Mephibosheth had a young son. His name was Micah or Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Again, the point is hammered home. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. You think God's trying to tell us something? In one short chapter, I, I don't care what translation you have, it's probably going to be 13 verses. 
You looked to fact check me, didn't you? In this short chapter, four times, we're told that this man eats continually at the king's table. And then at the end, just for good measure, the Holy Spirit says, oh yeah, by the way, let's don't forget, he's lame on both feet. He's a cripple. So let's get to the application. Got some scriptures up here. Paul said in Romans 15, here's what you need to understand. Every time you read the Old Testament, there's two things you need to, to, to pay attention to, okay? When you read the Old Testament, two things, pay attention to. Number one, what is the personal application for me? Because the Apostle Paul says, the things that were written beforehand, they were written for who? For us. For our learning. So that we might have hope and comfort. These are real people. The second thing you need to, to think about, or maybe you should reverse those, think about this one first. As you're reading the Old Testament, because uh, everything in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is not just happening in a vacuum. It is pointing to the fact that there is a Messiah coming. Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. And so I've got the scriptures up here. I'm not going to quote them. You can read them. Jesus explains to the, road, the two on the road to Emmaus. He goes through from Genesis to Malachi, and he shows everywhere that he's pointed out in the scripture. And then he appears to the larger body of apostles, and he does the same thing. I would have loved to have sat in on that Bible study. My goodness. Jesus, when talking to the Pharisees and the scribes,